I want to skip through some things really quickly, but uh, I, want to, I want to address a myth very carefully. Uh, one of the myths that we, that we talk about in reference to money is this. If I had just a little bit more, I'd be happier. Anybody ever thought that? Be truthful and honest. Raise your hand for me. Okay. That's a myth. And it's a lie. It'll destroy you. There was a guy by the name of Solomon in the Old Testament who knew just a little bit about wealth and he knew a little bit about finances. And this is what he said in reference to that. He said, those who love money will never have enough. John Rockefeller, I don't know what you know about John Rockefeller. I, I know that I had some thoughts and before after I began doing some studying on him. He made this statement in reference to finances. One time he was asked, how much is enough? He was the first American, they said, to have a million dollars. And he made this statement. He said, just one more dollar. If I can just have one more dollar, it'd be okay. What I didn't know about John Rockefeller was that John Rockefeller was a committed believer, a follower, of, a follower of Christ. Somewhere around the age of, in his late 40s to 50s, there were, he became extremely ill. Some of you may know this story. He became extremely ill to the point that they said that he was going to die. And there on his deathbed, he realized that he couldn't take with him everything that he had accumulated, uh, even though as an early, as a young man, he had, he had, he had learned that everything was the Lord's. And as a, as a young man, he learned how to, how to tithe and how to, how, to, how to tell the Lord how much he, how much he appreciated all the, the things that God had blessed him with. But there on his deathbed, he made a decision. He created the foundation that some of us know as the John D. Rockefeller Foundation. And at that time, he made the decision that some things that he wanted to be actively involved in, humanitarian efforts, medicine, um, uh, missionary efforts, and they say that to this point, his foundation has given more than $150 billion away in those arenas to, for the creation of Christian schools, uh, medical schools, uh, humanitarian efforts, and things of such. Um, that's an awful lot of money. You know, John D. Rockefeller didn't die that day. He lived to be 98 years old, and for the last 40, 50 years of his life, he dedicated uh, his philanthropy philanthropy efforts in using the monies that God had given him to, to help uh, and reach other people. Isn't that awesome? Now you don't hear that today, do you? You don't hear that at all. Um, but that's a little bit of a history about John D. Rockefeller. Here's a question for you. Have you ever felt owned by the things that you possess? Have you ever felt owned by the things that you own? The things that you've got your, your, your name on the dotted line. Uh, have you ever considered how much time and effort you put into purchasing or acquiring things that are just temporary? Something that down the line you're going to have to repair or replace. You ever thought about that? Just how much time and effort we expend in that arena. Um, there's some stats for you. Did you, did you know that the average American spends $1.20 for every dollar that they make? Did you know that America has about $800 billion in revolving credit? $800 billion. They say the average American has about $15,956 in credit card bills. That's the average. And they said one statistic was this, that this college students today that are graduating end up with about an average of $4,100 in credit card bills by the time that they graduate college. Whereas one out of five of those graduate with $7,100 in credit card bills. 
costs an awful lot of cash. You talk about feeling as if there's there's a hopeless situation. It seems that way sometimes. And some people say, well, why in the world would you talk about money? Because money is extremely important. And how we utilize what God has blessed us with is an indicator where we are in our spiritual life. Now, we started off last week by saying this. We went back to the bottom line and back to the basics. And we explored some Old and New Testament scriptures in reference to this, uh, this truth that God is the owner of everything. Now, we can say God is the owner of the cattle in a thousand hills, but listen, he owns the hills too. He's the owner of everything, and he's not just the owner of everything. Listen, this is tough to understand and understand the sovereignty of God, but he distributes those finances, those wealth, and whatever he wants to distribute is how he sees fit, to whom he sees fit, when he sees fit, and how much he sees fit. Our only responsibility is to be that of a steward to the master, that we're responsible to use the resources that he gives us in such a way that when it's said and done, it pleases the master. So we started out last week with the bottom line, and we said this, and somebody has, several people have called me or texted me this week. They said, man, that was a great statement. And we ended it like this, saying, listen, God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. Because the perception is that when we talk about finances many times in the churches, oh, God wants something from me. No, listen, God wants something for you, for you. So we're going to jump into to the second part of what we're going to be doing in reference to money. And I want you to turn over to the New Testament, to the book of Luke. Basically two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Luke is one of the first four books of the New Testament, which we would consider to be the Gospels. Talks to us about the life of Jesus. Luke himself um, was, a, was a doctor by trade. As a doctor, he was a very detailed person. Luke was a Gentile. He was not Jewish. He was a companion of Paul, the missionary. Um, and so he spent a lot of time with Paul. But Luke was commissioned, we believe, by a man by the name of Theophilus. Um, he was probably a pretty well-off guy. The Theophilus in Greek meant lover of God or God loves, um, friend of God. Um, and in the front of his book, in the book of Luke, in the New Testament, Luke identifies right up front that, listen, I'm here, I'm writing, I'm, I'm careful, I'm careful to, to write down exactly what took place so that my friend Theophilus will have an account. But we know this right here, that, listen, what Luke wrote in, the, in his writings in Luke not only were applicable for, not it was some information for, for Theophilus, but it was, it was also meant for us. Now, they say that Luke was probably uh, a companion book or one book with the book of Luke and Acts. It was one book together, but somewhere along the line it was split. Uh, Luke also wrote the book of Acts, which was basically the beginning of the early church. Talks to us about the early church. Talks to us about the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming after Jesus was resurrected to live inside of our hearts. It talks to us about the, the miracles that took place and the spread of Christianity. Uh, but today we're going to look at the book of Luke and at one of the parables that um, has to do with the issue of money in Luke chapter 16. So if you turn over to Luke 16, a parable uh, basically was a way that Jesus would illustrate a point. Sometimes Jesus would illustrate a point, he would tell a parable and he'd turn right around and he, would, and he would explain what he was talking about. Sometimes he would just turn right around and walk away. There would be other times that Jesus would sit around with his disciples and say, okay, guys, do you hear what I'm trying to tell you? But this is the, the whole thing about a parable. And when Jesus shared it, he was trying to get us to see from God's point of view how he viewed the world as well as how he viewed us. And not only that, he wanted us to understand 
um, our responsibility. He wanted us to understand how we should live in light of God's truth. And so we're going to pick it up here in this parable in Luke chapter 16, and we're going to read down about nine verses. And there's one thing I want you to see today. God didn't create us to be a reservoir, but he created us to be a river. He didn't create us to hold on to the resources that, that he blessed us, blesses us with, but he creates us as believers to be a river, to allow those things to flow through us and bless other people. It's a tool. And so this is what Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 16, verse 1. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So here you go. you got a guy that's got more money than he needs. We know that a rich man is somebody that has more resources than what they need to be able to survive. Um, and as a result, he has a guy, he's got enough wealth, enough resources that he got, has another guy that manages his, his wealth and his resources for him. Word gets back to the rich guy that the guy that's managing his wealth is wasting it. He's doing a poor job. So, uh, I want you to see here what takes place. Look at what he, look at what he does. He does what any, any person would do, the rich man. So the employer, the rich man, calls him in. He said, man, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. In other words, man, listen, there's a whole bunch of people making fun of me because I've hired you, and you're out there wasting all the resources that, I've, that I have been given. I've hired you to, to, to handle those resources, and you're doing nothing but, but just goofing around. And he said, listen, man, you're out of here. You're fired. But before you go, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go out and I want you to tie up all the loose ends with, with my resources, with my wealth. I want you to go out and I want you to tie up everything and I want you to bring the books back to me. And basically he fires him. Here's your pink slip. You know, you've got 30 days to get it done. 30 days. Look at what he says and what it says in verses 3 and 4. The manager thought to himself... Now what? Now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. I know what I'll do. I know how to ensure that I have plenty of friends who'll give me a home when I'm fired. Obviously, this guy was probably living on a piece of property in a, in a, in a, uh, a piece of property that he even had his family. And uh, the manager, given the pink slip, has this conversation with himself. You ever talk to yourself? Anybody ever talk to yourself? You had these conversations, and if you say you don't, you're not telling the truth. Matter of fact, you know, they're always doing surveys. I read this the other day. They did a survey to ask people how many people talk to themselves. 59% of the people that said, um, that were surveyed, said they talked to themselves. The other 41%, they just figured out they, were not, they weren't telling the truth. But we all talk to ourselves. You have those conversations all the time. What should I do? The problem is when you start talking back to yourself, they say. That's when the problem is. But he's having this conversation thinking, what in the world am I going to do? His boss has probably walked out of the office. He's standing there with the pink slip in his hand, knowing that he's got to make some pretty quick decisions. Under the circumstances, he says, I'm not strong enough to go out and, and, uh, and do some manual labor. Okay, I can't do that. And I'm too proud to go out and beg. So what in the world am I going to do? How am I going to take the time that I've got and the resources that I have and, and use those resources in such a way that I'm going to sustain myself, and not only myself, my family? Hang on with the story. And look at what he does in verse 5 and 6. So he invites each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. And he asked the first one, 
How much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager said, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. So as soon as he gets out of this meeting, he starts thinking to himself, after he comes up with a plan, he says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get on my iPhone. I'm going to start setting up some appointments, right? So he starts setting up some appointments and asking some of these people that owned, owed his boss some finances, some resources to come and meet with him. And in his first meeting, this is the situation that takes place. Somebody owes 800 gallons of olive oil. Um, and so there's a conversation that's happening. And as they're sitting here, the guy comes in. He said, listen, man, he said, uh, the guy probably apologized. Listen, I just can't pay, man. I ain't had time to pay. And I can imagine the conversation that's going on in the, in, in that, at that time. Uh, obviously, it was obvious the guy couldn't pay. And so look what the manager does. He, he, he says, listen, I tell you what, I, I know you can't pay. I know times have been really tough, but what happens if I were to take and go from 800 gallons of olive oil that if I were just to charge you 400? And listen, I can write it off my books, and I can, I can, I can say it's been done, it's been taken care of, and in the other side, it can be off your shoulders. Because I know this has probably been weighing on you. So what happens if we do that? What happens if we just say, take it from 800 to 400? And I can imagine the guy that owes the olive oil saying, man, you've got to be kidding me. Well, yeah, man, let's, let's, let's close the deal right now because this has been weighing on me. This has been terrible. So they closed the deal, 800 for 400. And I can imagine what's going on in the guy's mind as he asks him, why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And the manager says, well, basically I'm trying to finish up and close out my manager's books. I'm doing everything that I can to try to make sure that when I give him a report that everything's been completed. So here's the guy getting ready to walk out. He's finally got this debt off his shoulders, and he says, Listen, by the way, if you ever need anything, let me know. I'll be there for you. I appreciate your help. Man, you really saved me a lot. Goes through the next guy. Look at what it says in verse 7. And how much do you owe my employer? And he asked the next man, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. So you got the second guy that's now meeting. First guy was 800 gallons of olive oil. He changes it to four. Here's another guy that owes a thousand bushels of wheat. You know what he does? He said, listen, give me 800 bushels of wheat and we'll just call it, we'll call it even. And you know what happened? Here's the guy. He pays. And as he's walking away, he thinks to himself, I wonder why he did that. And as he's walking away, he said the same thing. The first guy, listen, if you need anything, man, you, you tell me because you really helped me out today. And so he goes through his entire list, the manager does, of all those people that were indebted to his master, making sure, trying to, to wipe out and take care of the report so that when he gave it to him, it would all be complete. Because the manager realized that there was only so much time that he had to try to utilize what he had to make sure that he was taken care of. Now, understand this. So you got Jesus telling this, this story, this parable, to the disciples. Can you imagine what's going on in their minds? I mean, I, I don't know how you would be thinking, but I would probably be sitting there saying this. This just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, this guy's a thief. I mean, Jonathan, let's, let's face it. you got a guy working for you. The first thing that's going on in your mind is, man, this guy's a crook. He's taking advantage of the situation. Um, 
He's a crook. He's a thief. But, but, and, and, and we would think that this is how the story is going to end. Jesus is going to say something about, you know, the rich, man, the rich guy takes the manager and he throws him into jail. But that isn't what happened. Look at what it says in verse 8. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. I mean, you've got to be kidding me, right? Here's the rich guy. You've got the, the, the manager who's taking advantage. And the rich guy, instead of throwing him in jail and, and just blessing him out and, and being angry with him, he commends him. He pats him on the fanny and says, Man, great job for being so wise. This is Jesus telling the story to the disciples. The disciples are like going, what in the world are you talking about? This just doesn't make any sense. You've got to be kidding. You're not, you mean to tell me that he's not going to press charges? He's going to have him put in jail? He just commends him and says, great job. Now, I'm in the midst of this conversation. I'm going, Jesus, this just doesn't make any sense at all. I don't understand why you're even telling this story. Not only does it make sense, it's not logical, but Jesus goes on and look at what he says in the rest of verse 8. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. And this is what Jesus was saying. The guy over here that's not a follower, that's not a believer, that doesn't know the truth, is a whole lot more shrewder in dealing with the resources from his perspective than those of you that are believers are of dealing with it from my perspective. This, how in the world do you expect this guy to act? He's not a follower of Christ. He doesn't believe. He's not a believer. So how in the world do you expect him to act? He's acting just like he thinks he should act from his logical perspective. He's doing everything that he can to try to obtain and save those things that are temporary which will eventually pass away. And look at how smart he is about going about it. But what about you that are believers? How do you respond? Do you respond in, in using the resources that I've given you in such a way that you're constantly shooting after those things that are eternal? Or do you use your resources in shooting after those things that are temporary, just like the person that's a non-believer? The world is better at taking the resources that, by the way, I've given them. Who's the owner of all? He is. Using the resources that I give them and leveraging them. The non-believers leverage them. Why? To gain more resources. It's exactly what they're shooting for. How do you use the resources that I've given you, though, is the question. We should be shooting for eternal treasures. For those of us that are here that are Christ's followers, this has, man, got to be the question. Do you hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking? sounds ridiculous. Look at the next verse. And let's just see, because there's one, one point that we want to make today. There's a few, um, few things that we want to see in reference to how God wants us to view our resources. But look here today, and there's one of them right here in this next verse. Here's the lesson Jesus said. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly positions, possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. How many of us see the resources that we have as something to acquire, something to hold on to, something to accumulate, something um, to gain? How many of us see our resources as a reservoir? You know, you know what a reservoir is. You know, something runs in, but then it stops. 
Do you think God blesses you just so that it can come to you and it can stop? Or do you see your resources as a tool? Because see, that's how God sees our resources. He sees it as a tool, a river. And how do we use the resources that we have? Do we, hold it, do we use it to hold on and leverage in such a way that others will come to know Christ? Or do we see our resources as just something to accumulate? Um, see, we like talking about our 401Ks. We like talking about our IRA, IRAs, our, our, our Roth IRAs, or Social Security, or whatever it may be. We love to be able to talk about those types of resources, but there are other resources. Our time, our position, um, our talents, our abilities, possessions. And this is the question that, that hinges for us today. How are you using the resources in the light of eternity? Because if we're a Christ follower, we should be using the resources that God has given us in light of eternity. Not just those things that are temporary, which will pass away, which will take up an awful lot of time, which will eventually have to be repaired or replaced. Or are we spending our time and resources on those things which are eternal? I thought about this, and, I, and, and he, you know, here's a couple of scenarios. For those of us that are Christ's followers, one day the Bible promises us that we'll, go, we'll spend eternity in heaven. I can imagine Bart. I can imagine Bart getting to heaven, and, and, and as he gets there, there's somebody that meets him in the gate. And Bart really doesn't know who they are. But as, they, but as, as Bart enters in, I, I see a person coming over to Bart and say, Bart, really, you don't really know me that much, um, but I just want to let you know that the reason I'm here is because of you, because of this action over here. And Bart, you don't know that, but, but I just want to tell you thank you because, because I came to know Christ as my personal Savior because of your influence. See, what you don't know is that you influenced a friend of mine who ended up sharing with me the same, the same Jesus that you knew. And so, Bart, you don't know me, but I just had to come and say thank you. I thought about, I thought about Bree, and I thought about Dakota, and I thought about Sandy, and uh, working with those ladies. And I can imagine them one day getting to heaven, being... Uh, being met by a young lady there and and she says listen <clears throat> so many things have changed but I was so afraid when I first met you I was so afraid that when I told you my story that you would uh, in that village there in in Nicaragua I was so afraid that you would that you would judge me for all the things that I'd been through I was so afraid that that you would you would turn around and you would walk away and you talk you talk about me but that's not what you did you loved me in spite of all the things that I had gone through and experienced in my life, you heard my story and you still came to me. And you know what? You washed my feet and you painted my toenails and you made me feel valuable. Nobody had ever made me feel that way before. And it wasn't until after you left that I came to trust the Jesus that you came to tell, tell us about. And I just wanted you to know that. Think about Wes or Jim or Eric or some of the guys that were on the trip putting in a water well and uh, here's one of the little boys in the in the village that that you guys and you never really knew their name you just knew about them because you played ball with them and the little boy approaches you as you enter into heaven he says I just want you to know 
Man, I love playing with that piñata that you guys brought. I couldn't believe how much food that you guys fixed for our families, and you treated us so special, and you loved on us. And that day that we played ball, I'll never forget. I've gained a, I gained an awful strong love for baseball after that. We had such a great time, and you came to our village to talk to us and to, and to build a water well, but you just didn't build a water well. You taught us about love, and I just want you to know that you were the beginning point of me coming to know Christ because there was a team that followed up your team. There was a team that came behind you that, that, that told us about that, that love that you showed us. And I want you to know that I'm here because of you. And the stories are endless. It could be the story of a teacher, of a, of a student that you meet in a class. It could be the, the football or the baseball or the, or the coach that... You know, how many times do we have moms that take their kids to baseball or football or some type of a sport because they don't have their dad and they want, the, they want to make sure that their child has an opportunity to play a sport so they go throw them into a sporting activity and the kid doesn't even want to be there. But yet that kid comes to know Jesus as a result of being there, not just baseball, because he has a coach that loves him enough to use the resources that he has to talk to him about Jesus. The illustrations are endless. Endless. Could it be utilization of your home to open up your home for a small group. Uh, it could be taking somebody out to lunch. But instead of viewing the resources that God has given you as something to accumulate, something to gain, something to uh, to hold on to, all of a sudden the resources become just a little bit different. That it's a tool that God has given you. Has it ever dawned on you that you, for such a time as this, that God has placed you where you are, given you the talents and abilities that He's given you, not just to hold on to them? but to release them from a different perspective. That those resources would be something that, that you would take and you would use them in light of eternity. And this is the implication. If you want to know how Jesus and our Heavenly Father sees our resources, He sees them as a tool. Your truck, your house, your toolbox your abilities, your vacation home, your talents, your boats, your guns, your hunting leases, whatever you have. It's not bad to have those things. God's blessed you with them. But He gives it to you for an eternal purpose of using the resources to be able to reach others, to make internal, eternal investments. What would happen if we viewed things from that perspective. Do you think that there would be any influence? I mean, Danny, what happens if, if you just happen to think that one of the reasons that God had given you a love for football wasn't just so you could go out and call out some X's and some O's, but maybe it was just because God wanted to put you in a place so that you could have influence? Wow. What happened is if your love for insurance or your love for cutting hair wasn't just about cutting hair, Kim, but what happens if it was an opportunity to have conversation? You want to have a conversation, sit down in a, in a chair where a woman's cutting on your hair. You can learn all kinds of stuff, can't you? What a great opportunity to sit down and to be able just to ask questions and use that gift from an eternal perspective. Somebody that loves to fish, man, listen, instead of just focusing on catching fish, Focusing on using that time to be able to talk to people about Jesus and demonstrate love. For teachers, it's not, just about the, it's not just about the mathematics, but it's about an opportunity to be able to love kids that maybe aren't, aren't loved. Yesterday, it just wasn't about backpacks. 
It wasn't about just a humanitarian effort to give backpacks, but it was giving backpacks with an intention of being able to have the opportunity to build a relationship to be able to share Christ. This is how most people on the outside view the church. Listen to me. The only reason you're doing something for me is you want something from me. And if you don't give, if I don't give you what you want, you're just going to go on to the next person. Have you ever thought about intentional persistence, about pursuing people even though they don't give you or don't respond the way that you think they should respond? I wrote in a, a text, I had read it in a, in, a, in a book, and this is what it said. We can give love and not love. We can't love and not give. Um, there was another one that says all of us can act like a Christian, but the temperature of who we are in Christ is how we react. All of us can act and put on a show and act like a Christian, but the temperature of who we really are in Christ comes when we react. Anybody failed this week? Yeah. When we see our resources as God sees them, it's amazing. The new sense of joy. We begin to see our stuff as a tool that God has entrusted us. Can you imagine the conversation around the dinner table for, for people that, are with, that have children? And instead of talking about what you're going to do next or this place you're going to go or this is the next thing you're going to get, what happens if the conversations were to take a turn and, okay, I wonder, kids, how God might use so-and-so so that we can influence somebody's life for Christ. Wow. That's huge. You know, for those of us that are parents, we need to be having the conversations now. You know, I don't know where God, what classroom that God's going to place you in, but God's going to place you in a classroom that there are going to be people there that need to know Jesus, that are going to need somebody to love on them and to care for them and to pray for them. Isn't that a great conversation to be having right now? And for teachers, it's not about who kids, which kids are going to be in your classroom. God, you bring the kids that I need so I have an opportunity to be able to invest in them what you've shared with me. That's a whole different conversation. It's a paradigm shift for us. It's not about accumulation, but it's about giving away what God has given. Um, and if we could just ever grasp this, it would change the world. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said this, he said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I finish with a story about a, about a man by the name of Bob Pierce because sometimes we say, well, I just don't have enough. I mean, what I have isn't enough to, to really count. There was a guy by the name of Bob Pierce who was the, sort of the originator, I guess, of World Vision. Back in the early 1950s, after the Korean War, there were a lot of Korean children that were, that were orphaned as a result of the fighting there. Bob had gone back and forth, and he was on the front lines helping feed orphaned children. They ran out of food. And while he was standing there, uh, he watched a young girl starve to death and die in front of his eyes. And he, and, he, and he said this. He said, I will do everything I can within my power to utilize the gifts that I have to make sure that every child will always be fed. That's what he said. And out of that compassion, he would fly back and forth trying to garner resources and, and things as such to be able to feed those children. And on one of those trips back and forth, um, he came in contact with a young girl by the name of White Jade. And he met her and he heard her story. 
Uh, and in her story, she was a young girl that had been persecuted because of her belief and faith in Christ. Um, out of that, he realized that she had been abandoned, she had been disowned by her family, and she was left to die. Bob didn't have anything except $5 in his pocket. He took it and he gave that $5 to White Jade, and this was his, this was his statement. I give you this $5, it's the only thing that I have, but this is what I promise. I will send you money every month. And it was out of that that the beginnings of World Vision and their sponsorship for children began. It began with $5. See, I, I don't know the resources that God has given you, the passions that God has given you, but this is what I do know. Whatever it is, it's not a question of how much, but it's a question of how you're going to use those resources and how you'll invest them from a kingdom perspective. Because it's amazing how God takes the loaves and the fishes and he multiplies them when God's people are faithful. I want us to be a faithful people. I'm not interested in building buildings. If one day that's something we got to do, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Because God's already told me that whatever the finances we need, he's already, taken, he's already taken care of because he owns the cattle in Thousand Hills. But I want us to be a faithful people. I want us to be a godly people that see ourselves, see the resources, the abilities, the talents, everything that we have is not something to hold on to. Not something to hoard. But something to use for eternal purposes. Would our communities be different if we lived that way? Yeah. That's attractive. That's attractive. Most of us see a need and we walk right past it. But that's attractive. And the only way you can give, and the only way you can use the resources that God has blessed you with for eternal purposes, is if you lower the margin. Because most of us are living outside the margin, aren't we? We're using everything that we can to accumulate more, to hoard, to hold on to. But when we see things from God's perspective, He changes everything. That's what the world around us is looking for. That's what they're looking for. The greatest gift of all that was ever given was Jesus Christ. When God the Father looked down and saw us in our need, and decided that he was the only one that could do something. It wasn't about us doing more, about being better, or even following a, a list of obeys and commands. But the only thing that could be done was only something that he could do, and that, would, and that was to send his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross for us. God's perspective. He just didn't give a part, but he gave us all. Would you bow your heads with me today? Father, thank you for your word today we've tried to hit the point that our finances, our resources, our tool, not just used for temporary gain, but from eternal perspective. I have to apologize for all the resources that I've wasted, wasted in my lifetime. Father, I need to ask for forgiveness for the things that I do that are unnecessary. I pray that I would be a, do a better job at that. I pray that my family would do a, a better job at that. That, Father, we would fight against the culture in which we live to, to view things, and not only view things from your perspective, but to live from your perspective. I'm praying for, for those of us that are believers here 
Father, that, that if, if we find ourselves there, that we would repent and we would ask forgiveness. Father, I'm playing, praying for those that are non-believers here that may not know you. Father, what is it that may keep them from coming to the place that they acknowledge you as, as, as that Christ is Lord? If there's someone here today that doesn't know, Father, may even they even come to me afterwards and say, I want to know more about Christianity. I want to make, know more about Jesus and what he did for me. There may be some here that, if, that have made that decision to follow Christ and says, I, I want to be a believer, but have yet to be baptized. And, and Father, that's just an affirmation of, on the outside of what's going on on the inside. If there's somebody here that has never followed through in, in believers' baptism to acknowledge uh, their faith in Christ, I, I pray that even this morning they would come and say, I've never been baptized, but I want everybody to know that I've crossed the line, that I trust Jesus. But this is what I pray for for us today, that, Father, that we would be the church and that you would use us and that we would be a river. That in that, Father, that we would leave a legacy of faith. Now as we go, may we be mindful of this this week. Father, may we have those conversations around the dinner table with our children. Father, may we have those conversations uh, with, with our friends. And Father, I pray that as we go, that we would be faithful people, realizing that you've, for such a time as this, that you've given us an opportunity, and may we be faithful with that. I'm praying for our teachers for this gathering on Tuesday, that we would just lavish them with love, and, and they would sense God's presence. And it wouldn't be about a church or denomination, but as a, as a collective group of people, that we'd be able to bless Wildwood, and, and we would demonstrate God's love, and through that, those teachers would be compelled to go out and to, and to invest, not just talk about math or English, but to live out Christ before those students that they're working with. Father, what a great day it is. And may we live with a passion to see things as you saw them. Because when we do that, it changes stuff. And it gives us a greater opportunity to leave a legacy of faith. So may we go. May we go. And may we live with eternity in mind. In Jesus' name, amen.